Welcome to the Experience ANU podcast on iTunes. The ANU campus is always alive with plenty to see, hear and do. If you're interested in finding out more about events at ANU, then visit us at anu.edu.au forward slash events or follow us on Twitter at ANU underscore events. We update the ANU podcast regularly, so make sure you subscribe to never miss a talk. Xiaoxiran is a British Chinese journalist, broadcaster, author, and women's advocate. Uh, she was born in Beijing in 1958. Uh, and grew up during the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution, two of many tumultuous times in, in Chinese history. Uh, Xinran paid a heavy price for being the daughter of parents who, because of their backgrounds and their wealth, were labelled as rep being representative of feudalism, capitalism and revisionism, among numerous other crimes. Um, after surviving many years at what was called a black school, which was designed especially for children of the parents of who had committed these crimes, Xue uh, won a place at a military secondary school uh, before going on to complete degrees in English and international relations and computer theory, and then studying international law in the army's political department. And, and that was all by the time she had reached her mid-20s. Uh, in the late 1980s, Shinran started working at a radio station in Hernan province in central China and began broadcasting a show called Words on the Night Breeze, uh, which essentially made her a household name. This was China's first Agony Aunt program, which attracted tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of listeners, uh, many of them women, who wrote to her and discussed their personal matters with her, uh, issues that had been pretty much forbidden conversation for some decades before that. And within a very short time, she became a highly successful media figure in China. Uh, China then lost her for a time or, uh, to, China, to London, and in 1997 she moved there, initially working as a cleaner, uh, teaching Chinese and also studying English. She soon began work on her seminal book about Chinese women's lives, which has been the focus of much of her writing, The Good Women of China, uh, which was a memoir relating many of the stories that she'd heard over these years on the radio uh, while hosting her radio show. Uh, that book was published in 2002 and has since been published in more than 30 languages. Uh, Shinran's written a number of other books, including Sky Burial, the first one that I was lucky enough to read back in 2004, which tells the story of a woman whose husband joined the Chinese army in the 1950s and was sent to Tibet to try and unify the cultures between China and Tibet. Uh, also, China Witness Voices from a Silent Generation, which was based on 20 years of her own interviews, and I'm assuming that you've taken very meticulous notes over the years, or you have an incredible memory, or both, and I'll probably both. Um, also, Messages from an Unknown Chinese Mother, a collection of stories from Chinese mothers who have, for one reason or another, abandoned or had to abandon their children. Um, she's also published a collection of her writings from the Guardian newspaper paper, um, called What the Chinese Don't Eat, and I haven't read that book, but I do wonder what might fall into that list. 
and also a novel, Miss Chopsticks, which explores the uneasy relationship between Chinese migrant workers and the cities that they flood into. And again, often those workers are women working in pretty tough conditions. Uh, in 2004, Shinran set up a charity called the Mother's Bridge of Love, which aims to bridge understanding between China and the, the West by reaching out to Chinese children all over the world, those who have been adopted by Western families, those who are living abroad, and also those who continue to live in China. Uh, the ultimate goal of the charity is to reduce the huge and horrifying poverty gap that exists across many parts of China, and Shinran continues to travel extensively to those parts, and luckily for us, to other parts of the world as well. I'm, I'm surprised to know if she's ever uh, back in London. Uh, in her latest book, Buy Me the Sky, uh, which we've come to hear about today, Shinran uh, tells some of the remarkable stories of young men and women who were born and raised during the era of China's infamous one-child policy. Um, I've already had a chance to read the book. I don't know how many other of you have done so. But without further ado, I'll pass over to Xue Xinran um, to lead us through that book. Thank you. Hello. Um, first of all, thanks to Jen and uh, gave the whole background about my writing. And uh, I'd really like uh, to take the chance, uh, thanks to the Australia Center on China in the world. It's a beautiful building, and I just had a quick uh, look. Um, it's remarkable designed by the Chinese artists, uh, and also I can read that there's so much Chinese information in there. Maybe I'm too Chinese, but I do feel that. So I'm so lucky to meet you here. It's beautiful. Even I came here less than 20 hours, but I think it will make my 2015. Thank you. Secondly, I like to make very clear, as always, and uh, please don't treat me as an expert on China. Uh, that is impossible. China is a huge, um, with a 5,000 years of civilization, 1.3 billion population. Uh, Any five of the, uh, the people, uh, the one is Chinese, so very big member. And also, if you travel to in China, that's a huge um, difference between the city and the countryside, between north and the south and also between the people, even you're driving five hours or two hours from Shanghai to any kind of direction, you might drive to back to 100 years ago. So there, there is no such a China there. China should be told, told in, I think, at least 1.3 billion stories. Everybody has their own story. So what I have, or interview the Chinese people, or travel around China, become a journalist uh, experience, or as a Chinese daughter, or mother, or sister, and I think just one drop of the water of this big ocean. So today we just share the taste of this one drop of the water. Okay, so I can't explain this huge ocean. Uh, but I love to have the, your question. I always enjoy the question because question make me think. 
and also make me realize how much I haven't learned and how much I need to try. So I will give lots of time to the question. I want you to challenge my story or my experience or my view, and also I love to learn from you. From just last two points, you can see my English is very limited. Actually, it's uh, I call it a Chinglish. I hope one day Oxford Dictionary will pick up this word. It is a Chinglish, uh, very much inside about Chinese. So I speak English words, but my thinking is very Chinese. I'm too Chinese to be an English speaker. I try my best. If you can't understand, please treat it as a beautiful Chinese music. I come here uh, to tell you to share my knowledge about uh, By Me the Sky, actually this book about one child policy. But why I want to write this book, um, be honestly, it's not my idea. Is I was pushed into this book after my first book or second book, uh, you know, and the, the most power force pushed me was those children in the book the character in the book. I spend the time with them, actually, I'm very selfish because I'm part of the one child policy. I'm the mother of the one son, and also I experienced lots, lots of this kind of feeling or fear, or how do you say, lost and the love and the worries with those mothers. And by that time, I never thought I could be qualified at all there to write anything about my son's generation because uh, when he come to London with him when he was 11 and uh, I can see his uh, attitude of the life and the philosophy or knowledge between Chinese and the Western changed day by day. I feel really struggled with him. And uh, he's a lovely boy, and uh, in my eyes, even he's 80 years old, I keep telling him, I'm your mom, you know. But sometimes he said, uh, you just think you are a very Chinese mom, you never thought about my human rights. <laughs> yeah. So that is made me think. So many young Chinese had the same feeling about this. So that is the reason drive me to think about if China had been changed so much in the last 30 years, which is under this one child policy. So how much between the generation we understand each other and how much we miss between the generation in the education, in the society, in the family, in the, our national level? That is a question there. And secondly, why I published my first book, The Good Woman China, I've been travel around the world. And a few things got me always repeat again, again, again. And the first thing is everybody wants to talk about human rights. That's particularly in America, each single time. It's knowledge is about human rights. That is China, no more else. And, uh, then about a uh, one-child policy, people always mention. But I feel that one-child policy becomes something just black and white, not very much colors, about a family, about a society, about the individual person. 
just about a party policy, but the policy is about a family. It's about a young lives through this policy to be given the life or to miss the life or to grow up in this policy, but not very much in there. And other things I would say, because there's a policy, we didn't realize, and China has changed a lot, is when we talk about policy, always a very political size, then we didn't see even the political has to have more than two sides. I always said to myself, when I report as a journalist, very important independent view and the colorful the knowledge, and also to ask to guide people or guide myself to know why, to think. My report should make people think. So when this policy start, I found something very interesting. First of all, people, not many people know this policy wasn't law until 2001. When the policy started from 1979, the whole China was really against this policy. Even Communist Party was very strong because China had been shaped, rooted, and weathered by our culture beliefs, which is a family. You have to have a big family. If you read our tax system, and the state system, and the law system, all the way from first emperor 223 BC until now, even communist party system, they're all same in many ways. The first of all, many family, include the people in the city, still believe boy, men carry on the family trees. Yeah, because of surname. This is not a China problem. I just been to Singapore. I have a Japanese friend, a Korean friends, and even in the UK. I used to give a talk in the how do you say House of the Law when I see the whole face is a male. So this is we come from this kind of culture. Culture sometimes is much powerful than religion, than any political reasons. So when the policy start in 1979, and at that time more than 90% of Chinese population are peasants and the farmers. So they have really believed they need a bigger family, not just the labor work in the land, or tax benefit, or they have a surname carry on. And the very important also is old age. It's like a pension system for Chinese society. Because everything we are structured by that. I use this way to help you understand why family value is so important for our culture. If you read Chinese language, you know, in the West, you say, oh my God, okay? In Chinese, we say, oh my mom, or the Maya, yeah. And if you swear someone, you swear this person, Chinese straight away swear your mom or your grandma, yeah? When someone promoted, yeah, Chinese wouldn't say congratulations, good luck. No, we say, oh, you become my parents. I will follow you. 
Yeah. So when we try to understand why China, in the 30 years time, has done something which is no other country has done in the human history, feed 1.3 billion population, everybody had the clothes, most people had a roof, yeah, people allowed to travel, which is never had before, from a very poor little brother of Asia, become a stand-up big power, rich in front of the world. I believe a personal, it's a very important, is by this kind of family structure. Because we treated our leaders as factor, uh, as a family, like you have the family, you know, argues uh, naughty people talk about uh, go to the holiday. Someone said, oh, go to England. Someone said, go to Australia. Okay, but one of the parents maybe say, let's do something. Just do it. That is the way China running today. So this is the first thing. So when the policy come in. So, so many Chinese scared, really against. So in that case, the Communist Party did something to change their mind or improve the fit in the society. So the one-child one policy becomes three policies. In the city, in China, that time, we have 665 cities. So in the city, one child allowed. But in the countryside, two children allowed, particularly when you have a first child, is the girl. So you have a, another chance. But in fact, from my research, in many countryside, they still have a three or four because they're waiting for the son. Because without a son, this family is criminal. Not just in the village, in the whole society, in their lifetime, they are criminal. So they have to have a son. Then for many um, minorities, I don't know how many of you uh, know that. In China, we have the 56 different kind of people together, but the Han people is about 95%. So we have a very small percentage of minorities, but they are allowed to have uh, children as many as they can. But in fact, the truth is there are not many minorities have uh, many bigger families, part of it live their living conditions very limited. And also partly their society is very limited. So they're still growing, but in the limited way. So when this policy become, is this kind of three policies in 1984, but it wasn't the law until 2001. So my question challenged not just government and the society, the millions of families have been punished by this policy. Yeah, actually, who broke the law? So the one thing. And the secondly, when this policy start, is anything good to China? Yes, definitely. More than two sides for any historic uh, issue. The first thing is 400 million population less produced by this policy in 30 years time, 400 million. That means China gave a huge gift to this world, yeah? And the less war between the human population to the food or natural resource. And the secondly, good things is gave China a chance to breathe, to rest from the war between the population and the food.
If you go to China to see the rice field, I really recommend it to see between the from top Xi'an, then Henan, Hunan, Guangxi, all the way down. You see something very interesting. Just ask local people why there's a path, the road between the rice field so narrow. Okay, and also Chinese read people from hands or from feet. You know, if you go to China, you have a foot massage. You know, they read your body and analyze where you come from. Because the rice field, the path in the rice field become narrower and narrower and narrower. The first time I went to interview people in Mao's hometown, Hunan, I asked this question. I said, impossible, you carry the very heavy things. You know, you walk on this tiny, just this narrow road. It's very difficult. And they said, we have no choice. Because the population growing, rice field not grow. So they just cut road and cut road, the end, like this narrow. So in this under this policy in the 30 years time, China had a chance yeah, escaped even worse war between the food and the population. And the last thing I would say good is about a woman's value. Because if you read a Chinese history, you know women's position in our philosophy is very low. Many people love the Confucian. I like, I'm still reading, still carry it with me. But the one thing I really disagree with him, because uh, he said, even the woman, even the mother position should be lower than the son. So this policy, one child policy, made a woman's value in the city much higher than before. Really respect and really, you know, everybody came. And also because the policy had another dark side and about this is the government announced the last year. They will be 30 million men more than women by 2020 and 2025. So that means a lot of people start worrying about those men's wife. Yeah, how could they find a wife? But my question is, according to the nature, where are those missing 30 million girls? From my research in the last 30 years, I know selection, sexual selection is the longest war in the human history. But if this number appeared, still not wake us up, still can alarm the society to stop this kind of sexual selection, I think that we have no right or not qualified to say we are living the civilized world. So from this policy, what I learned from my 10 years research, I think one thing, big mistakes, or is in China 30 years, something not just we don't have the independent legal system, actually we are party political control the legal system. And the second is about uh, we don't have very much freedom of the speech, but compared to 30 years ago, particularly 20 years ago, much better. I used to work in the media. I run the woman uh, radio show. I know so many things we didn't allow her to talk. And also anything 
you said something about the Western, even Christmas, Easter, they didn't allow it to say. So the Guardian, BBC, ABC, all is in the blacklist. But nowadays, you can get everything partly is the internet, partly is government lose this control in some certain levels. But again, for education under this policy, I personally believe we failed. We have produced so many pilot young Chinese. They're very clever, okay? They study very hard, but they are very lonely. We didn't give them support to the family, to the education, to the society, to the, even their classroom how to deal with this kind of one-child society. Many people argue with me, say, oh, I have only child. I said, yes, but not in the one-child society. If everybody is one-child, for the parents, it's a huge affair. It's huge. I understand myself, and also from the book, I can tell you some story about this affair. And, uh, okay, chapter one, I think many of you maybe heard about my interview. This is unbelievable. This boy was after university, I shouldn't call him boy, he's a young man. He come to London for his uh, master's study. When I pick up him from Heathrow Airport, his parent, her ma his mom, suddenly called me, say, Xinran, my son is gave your hands. You must make sure open the luggage for him, and hang on clothes for him. I thought I listened wrong. I said, are you sure? You, I have to hang on clothes for him. Then he, she said, I'm very sure. You have to do this. He has no idea. All of his luggage, I managed. I said, he finished his school. What about his university? Then she said, every single weekend, I went to his dormitory, tidy up and the clean clothes bed for him, okay? And this is not a one mother. And I met another girl, is a chapter two, and uh, in New Zealand. After the conversation with her, this girl told me, before I come to New Zealand, when I was 26, I never touched anything, I never knew how to order food, shopping, anything. And then she even told me one day her mom guided her to buy the spinach. She wanted to make a soup. Then she chopped the spinach. She couldn't make it. Then mom discovered she used the knife in the wrong way. This is a 26 years old young student. Now afterwards, she said, I was protected by my family. I educated, I'm educated. I know I have everything in my life in materiality way, but I never had confidence as who I am. I was brought up as a human pet, not a human being. Then I sent her question back to my network, which is all the single children, the mothers. I said, what do you think about this? Then so many parents feel heard about this. They said, if we treated our children they think we treat them as a pet. But how do they think they treated us? As a slave. When I heard this kind of news, I feel a little bit hurt because I'm Chinese, as I mentioned. 
we live in as this belief family is our God, our heaven. If this kind of belief is start losing or disappearing or even broken, what is the Chinese the culture, the identity? Where we are compared to other nations? And then when I just finished my first draft, then some case appeared in China called Yao Jiaxin. Issue. Many Chinese here, you heard about this. This is a, a second year art student from university, and uh, he's a genius. And everybody believes he could be second Lang Lang, pianist. Yeah. He was uh, really protected by his family about his fingers, never allowed his finger touch anything, damaged fingers. Now he's in the school, everybody treated him as like a king because he's a really top student. But one day he drive his girlfriend back to home. He hit someone. So he stopped the car. He saw the, a young woman, obviously from countryside, was bleeding, asked for help. Then his first reaction didn't to help this young woman. And he back to the car took the fruit knife, stepped back to the woman, stabbed her to death. Yeah. Now what happened after this case is Chinese online is a huge population, divided three group. I never saw Chinese could be divided in such a clear way. One group from university school and the single children, many of them in this group said, if I were him, I would do the same things. Even young Chinese girls, beautiful, soft female girls, and uh, said on the website, say, definitely I would do the same things because I don't want this uh, woman damaging my future life. Another group would say, no, we have to bring the law to this. The, this young man must die gave him death penalty, otherwise China has no law. Then another group say, wait a second, this is a single child. If you gave a death penalty to him, that means you gave a death penalty to his uh, parents and the grandparents because they have the only child. So it's not a death penalty to this person. It's you are killing three generations, about six or even more. Then you will see this policy gave people this kind of confuse. It's a human respect, and the life is not equal. And educated young people don't think that way. So what are our education for? So from that case, really wake me up. I thought, okay. This book is not just simple about uh, family protect young people, young children, or how children go through. It's our society, how much it changed by this policy. That is something we should think. Then I come to Australia, and I did research during the Sydney Writers Festival between the, my events. I met a cleaner in my hotel, 
She had a child from China, only child. She really struggled. Then she said her daughter doesn't speak any Chinese, and the parents doesn't, they don't speak very much English. So this daughter had no way to communicate with anyone. And her life, just like many other Chinese, between the internet, homework, and Chinese takeaway. This is, yeah, I interviewed so many street. People told me same things. But what's the reason they come to Australia? Yeah, of course, food is very important for Chinese. Very difficult. If you brought up by such a beautiful, delicious, rich food, then come here. I think better in Australia, I know lots of students suffered in London with uh, fish and chips. You know, yeah, Australia is much better. But again, the language, no such English there. From my study, I have a book that said English is rooted by over 600 languages. So most of the Chinese who studied English is about America. But when they come here, lots of words they don't understand. And again, education system. In China, we never allowed young students to make any sense in the classroom. Even very young, tiny baby from year three, shut up, quiet. Yes, but here, when you open the class, first things professor or teacher give you a question. Yeah, make you think, make your discussion with your, your independent view. So for young Chinese, they don't have this kind of, you know, transformation or education between Chinese and here. And for those single child, it's different, even more worse. They don't have a sibling and a brother, sisters to share, to talk. Because of the huge gap, not just between rich and poor in China, knowledge between the generations. Not just our culture, politically, and also recently fast change, changing. I, I can't imagine, I can't tell you how big this changing. And a few uh, examples, I can maybe give you a little bit of idea. At the same time, when London built up uh, um, Heathrow uh, Airport built up uh, Terminal 5, exactly same time, China built 52 airports. Yes, and also I met a student in Somerset in UK. When I asked her, do you like English being here over the year? And she said, not really. I said, why? She said, British are very lazy. I said, where did this come from? She said, I've been here over the year. They never change any street. <laughs> yeah? So this new generation brought up by this kind of beliefs. Their information about the world are very limited. Yeah. And from a family, from classroom, from a social media. So when we judge them, when we everybody criticize, if we open the website about one child policy, all the black, okay? In China, all the white. Is it fair to this generation? And how much we really understand them? If we don't understand them, how could we deal with them or be with them in the future? It's definitely very soon now we'll 
be with them because the first generation from my book, they are 30s. They started their own family. So that is my question. Also, move to the, my book. After listen to them, then you feel this policy was missing for Chinese society. It's when they start their own family, many of them scared, hate their own child. When a single child married to a single child, when they have a family, okay? I thought they should be very happy to have the baby. No, they feel that this baby replaced the central tension from them. It's a very strange thought. I never, you know, when I interview them again and again, I said, are you sure? Even someone said, when you see some woman pregnant in the street, you always say, she's finished. Yes, that means her tension, her love, her, you know, care. No one care. They will move down. Then, recently what's happened in China, the news come out from the February Chinese New Year, is about Chinese uh, one-child policy is start losing from five years ago because the local authority really challenged. They found this kind of problem, okay, broken, family value, society becomes so selfish and also so weak because uh, the young generation, they don't know how to deal with the society. So many lo local authority challenge central government without punishment, allow the people to have a second child. Then something happened very interesting. First child hate and uh, doesn't allow the parents have a, another child. Yes, there is a news in the February is about this. Uh, 13 years old girl and uh, shouted to the mom, say, if you give me sibling, I would jump off the building. Then this mom had been waiting for the second child so many years. Uh, finally, over 40 years old, she had pregnant. Then end of the, this argument, she had abortion. Then she told the generalist that uh, she can't let her first child suffer, and she believed she could do what she said. Now later on, in March and April in China, two cases happened, exactly this, the child jumped off the building. The 18 years old boy said to the mother, I don't want anyone share my family. So he killed himself. So how, and also so many cases come out of China. If a Chinese friend, you read it, the young Chinese, a single child has a huge pressure from study, from a family, from the society. And they just gave up their life. The video online, you see in the classroom, everybody writes the homework. Now you see the boy went to the window, jump. Again, again. So that is uh, something we have to think now. It's not just a one child or two child. It's because this policy come to the China and build up this big hole. Yeah, it's, uh, when I arrived here, I heard someone told me, in the above your sky, you have a big hole, so your sunlight is very strong, yeah? Can damage you. I think a Chinese society, we, we got this hole now. We don't have the knowledge 
to protect our traditional value, family respect, and the social society. So my book is only the invitation to you and to the world to listen to the young people or to share their story and to give them some advice and to help them to work out this kind of struggle. It's not something from my research with my study or my you know, judgment, no. It's an open invitation. We need your help. We need your thinking and we need your advice. I believe until everybody build up is a better understanding and a better, you know, beliefs, we can go to the future in the peace. Thank you. Well, um, I'm really expecting your question. Any kind of question, if I know, we share. If I don't know, please forgive me. Or you feel tired, we can all go home and have a drink. <laughs> or we've got yeah. a cake we're already eating. Yeah. Thank you. I'm curious how much support you have in Beijing for this theory, this problem. Well, um, very difficult to say if we say we don't have a, such a China there, we don't have a Chinese government there, as in many ways. From my first book, actually why I interviewed the countryside. One side I was attacked or spied or even uh, violenced, you know, threatened by policemen. But on the other hand, I'm supported, I was supported by policemen. Believe many people had a heart, you know. If you gave them water, lights, earth, and the condition to grow, they grow to like anger. If you don't give them this, they can be uh, evil. So I think in China, uh, very difficult to say good or bad. From my experience, because I set up the charity 2004, actually much earlier before, I did lots of charity work for village girls. So in this way, government are happy, very happy with me. I set up 15 libraries, three schools, and with 2,000 young people involved, they liked very much. And also I helped them to set up international conference, get more people to talk, even sometimes they don't want it. I said, you need to listen different voices, then you know what the word is, because the word is not just America or English. You know, world is in many different language and different view. So in this way, they're happy with me. But another hand, during my research, sometimes they really annoyed uh, with me and uh, gave me a little bit of trouble. But I'm getting used to. <laughs> Thank you. My book come published there. I have so many friends and uh, who's in charge, even like a culture minister. They can't get my book published because they have to cut anything about history and the background. But I refused, because my book is about tree, about history, about family tree. If you cut the roots, how could the tree live? So I refused. But uh, many family now reading my book in Chinese. I send a chapter to them. Yeah, thank you.
Has the role of the father changed in these smaller families? The role of the father, has that changed in these smaller families? Because you've talked about a lot about you know, the mother and the children. What's the father's role in these very small families? I really love this question. <laughs> because I used to, uh, invited to be invited by international women conference so when they ask me invite me give a speech i talk about this after 100 years we are still fighting for women rights we're still talking about how to improve the society that men and women equal but when you see every time we talk about it's between women yeah we close the door we talk about our ideas but in fact we talk about the father and the son, the husband, the grandfather. If you go to the developing country, who decide a girl has a right to be educated is father. In China, same things. But in the countryside, it's no such a China. In the city, it's no question. Men is much more, you know, support girls or even people say, you know, daughter is daddy's girl. That's no question. But the countryside is still a problem. And even myself, I married an English husband. When I went to the village, many men didn't bother to answer my question. They asked my husband, who doesn't speak any Chinese at all. <laughs> yeah, then I asked them, this is my question. Then they would say, you are not a woman. You are not a man. You are a woman. So, but something happened during our charity work. We are doing is a picture book support to the village who can't read or write, is no education there. That really worked. Many cases, I always tell people these stories, this man really hated me. Few times, he never bothered to answer me or to talk to me. But last time when I saw him, he said, oh, now I can allow my, my granddaughter eat with me at the same table. I said, how did you change your mind? He said, you give me the book. In the book, those Western big noses, I just heard about this, big noses is very rude, yeah? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But the Chinese, we do say that, big noses. Yeah, it's the difference, yeah. And big noses eat with their children together, girls, boys, so I can do it. That's interesting. When I see that book, it was in Dutch. Even I can't understand language, but the picture really helped. So this is why we set up this Books for Kids project. And partly we want to make a government believe we can do something better for the education, even if you don't have this kind of teaching resource. Okay? And partly we want to use this way to help adoptive family to reach the roots culture and roots family and I gave them first touch. If they can do something with the poor village, maybe adopted children, they will be happy because they gave something back to their roots and birth mothers. So we are doing, it's getting better. Maybe it's a long march, but it's there on the way. Thank you. Hi. Um, your um, talk focused a lot about sort of the policy, the one-child policy and sort of behaviour of the, the single children. I'd like to hear your views on sort of perhaps the parenting style of these um, 
Chinese families that led to, you know, single child children being kind of incapable of looking after themselves? Uh, slowly, my English is not that good, slowly. Oh, you can tell me in Chinese. I know you are Chinese. Oh, my Chinese is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that English I learned, yeah. So, so I was wondering what your views are um, about the parents' role in creating these single children that um, have these very strange behaviours. Yes, we do, include myself. Yeah, we do. Just because we're running pretty short on time, can I take two more questions? Okay, yes, please. I try to remember. Oh, yeah. Right. There was one more down. Um, it seems with the um, higher proportion of boys to young girls that the boys in China have to be terribly solicitous, at least when they're courting and carry girls' handbags and give them presents and be quite... Um, I think, influenced by notions of what they see to be Western romance. Does some of that make these young people more um, compassionate, perhaps, or more sensitive to each other in ways that you're not, uh, you haven't been, de you've been depicting them as being more selfish, but it seems as if certainly the boys have to work a little bit harder, don't they? Yeah, thank you. I'm a mother of the boy, so I know that. It's very difficult for young men. Um, well, the two questions. Uh, first of all, is about the parents' strange behavior. And actually, if you read the New York Times about two weeks ago, or you still can get from online, in that study from the research, they said a mother is made by worries. So when you have only child, you get more worries. I knew that. My son used to backpack in Australia. That time for me is like in jail every day. Yes, in jail. And they're so worried. And because this is the only child I have, if I have a, she had, he had a brother, sisters, I could ask a check with a, you know, others. I gave him more space. I don't have anyone. So this one thing. And secondly, don't forget, when this policy started, during the 30 years, China changed so much. When I gave the birth to my boy, in the local Chinese newspaper, every day, horrible story. Some nanny put the baby into the washing machine, and the nanny put the little girl into the freezer, and all these kind of stories really scared because many from countryside, they never knew city life. Everything they feel the very fresh, very challenging, very interesting, they just try, yeah? <laughs> so when they try, the baby suffered, yes, they do. Then later on, you see that the, this uh, nanny or this family support more educated is much better. But then we move another trouble is, uh, you know, that the baby is leaving such a huge materials that children fighting for the toy, the competition from a very young age, then even they start uh, uh, fighting and uh, from a very little age, talk about uh, what's your father's position. My father is a mayor and your father is a that is, shouldn't happen in the very young age, but they did in China. 
Then later on, just actually back to this, uh, uh, the lady question, actually it's the same as you. So in the whole China, it's become a prized everything, really prized everything. Just uh, when they meet each other, the first thing is, uh, believe or not, even I go back to China, okay? I want to buy something, and the information desk look at me like this. Okay, go this way. I said, why I can't go that way? You can't afford. <laughs> yes, that is everything priced. So for many parents, why their children have this is parents. We don't have something as a soul or belief. We believe America first, okay? So McDonald's used to be our best Western food. Everybody knows, yeah? Then Starbucks coffee opened in the Forbidden City. That's ridiculous, yeah? <laughs> but the, when I asked Beijing city mayor, he said he was so surprised. Office said, we heard about the America Starbucks, the best coffee in the world. I said, who told you about this? <laughs> yeah, then they said, oh, all the people from America. I said, because they are students, or they can't afford good coffee. <laughs> so now you come to China, beautiful noodle bar, everything happened, you know? So this is a parents, they are being educated. But the worst things that happened in China is media. If you read a website and the magazines, they all talk about lecture, celebrity. They're fighting for being rich. Rich in what? In price, not in culture, in beliefs, in the soul. So something we're missing, and a part of the parents' fault. Yeah, and uh, this is about uh, the the girls is uh, actually is, uh, is not their fault. Made boys hard. It's if you, brought, you're being weathered by this kind of information every day. Like people talk about China, every day you believe that. So this is why when you read the book, you can see uh, what I try is to get very deep what their behavior. Then you analyze the behavior where they come from. So I gave the background of the family and gave the conversation between the children and the parents. And also I gave them my research into the book. And at the end of the each chapter, I gave their view on that pianist because I want to know what they are thinking about. Then you can see many of them say, nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, I think we're pretty close to time. Can I just ask one question with the microphone in my hand or, or, or perhaps a comment? Um, I've got a couple of biases in coming to read your book. One is that I have a mother who is an only child and I'm also a mother of an only child. Um, and I obviously have, think that, you know, that there are reasons why I've made that decision that are different from the reasons why many Chinese families have have been forced to have only one child. But I'm also an economist, and most economists are population pessimistic. That is, they believe that lower fertility rates are good for economic growth, and, and you pointed to that uh, in your talk today. The 400 million Chinese children that haven't been born, um, many of them in possibly into very abject poverty, uh, and the environmental benefits, among other benefits 
of that of, of that fertility reduction seemed to be a pretty good thing for me. Now, what I wondered through reading your book was, you, and so my two biases are coming in thinking one child itis doesn't exist everywhere um, and for everyone, but also is it is it necessarily a bad thing this this um, fertility decline? You attribute a lot of your storytelling to the fact that they're only children. And I kept wondering, is it because they're only children or is it actually something more to do with the Chineseness that you talk about at, at length? Um, Confucian traditions, the education system, filial duty and so on. Or is it really a lot more to do with the rapid and dynamic change in the economy and society that has taken place through exactly that same period? Thank you. Also, very much thank you, Isvata. You make my points more clear to the audience. <laughs> Otherwise, I wonder how many of you could really understand what I'm talking. <laughs> thank you, Jen. Uh, well, um, my personal belief from my research again and again, I think uh, more is about uh, in the 30 years' time, in many ways, many levels, is too fast change. The change too fast. If you just, it actually is jumping the historical queue, jumping the queue, you know, because uh, you see that in the 30 years time, what we changed, uh, it's just uh, very simple. The first of all, culture beliefs, we changed from a family to no family, really shocking changed. And the secondly, we used to believe this kind of, how do you say, follow the power. Actually today's people, don't follow the power at all. Even the power sometimes is good way. They just totally against. So this is a never happened in, in our history. If you read the China Witness, you know we have a very crude uh, the law. You know that when person break law, three thousand family should be killed. This one from two hundred twenty three BC all the way to nineteen eleven. So Chinese nation had been weathered by this kind of fear, very scared. And also this is the reason they believe in Mao Zedong. They still believe in Mao Zedong because the Mao is only emperor didn't kill their 3,000 relatives. And uh, then people started this kind of the violence in China. I don't know, you read a lot of Chinese website. Before this never happened. And in the public, they attacked the authorities. Violence attacked authorities, not right or wrong, doesn't matter. They just think they had to do this. So that is a shock me quite a lot. And also, this is actually upside down many ways. Then economy, this is my big argument. I hope one day I could have a chance to talk about this. Many people believe China will be huge power in economic way. I disagree. I published a book article in the Telegraph a few years ago. Because any country, if you want to stay longer or you are really powerful, is based on heavy industry and natural resource. But if you analyze China, most of the natural resource is based on west part of China, not east part of China. So if China want to develop based on that, it's a population or um, industry structure or there's a whole energy system is not there. So it's a very difficult, even Western investment 
can want that nature resource. It's a human living condition is not ready. This is the problem. And the second, yeah, and the second problem is, uh, if you believe China has an economy, it's built big, big number, read where this number come from. It's a light industry, most based on Western. Like uh, I'm living in London, Queensway, okay? About 27 countries of food in that Queensway, and also over 200 hotels around the Queensway. So why? work in the Queensway, I want to find something not made in China. I can't find single things. Everything made in China, including this one, I thought it was a Western suit, actually made in China, everywhere. But that is all light industry. This is we lost with the Soviet as the reason in 1950s, because we don't have a heavy industry foundation, knowledge, and knowledgeable population at all. So I think in the, all the different ways that cause the, the problem is not just by one reason. Everybody rush into this kind of cheap, fast culture, easy going, light industry. Looks like in the surface, everybody become rich, but on the foundation, on the roots, we are not uh, stable. This is my personal view. Yeah. Thank you. We've, we, we've gone a little bit over time. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the discussion and the presentation as much as I have. Uh, can you join me in thanking Xin Xinran? We hope you enjoyed this talk. Did it inspire or even provoke you? Let us know via Twitter at ANU underscore events. If you're interested in learning more about the research and ideas that come out of ANU, then why not consider a free subscription to ANU Reporter magazine? ANU Reporter tells the stories of the greatest minds in Australia, brightest students and finest alumni. Visit news.anu.edu.au forward slash publications and click on the ANU Reporter magazine link to find out more. <laughs>